Welcome. I'm here to talk about Moira. So welcome to Of Monsters and Crime. If you just found this randomly, welcome. You might get bummed out or you might fall in love with murder. Um, trigger warning, murder. Uh, I'm just sitting here sipping on some tea. I'm not feeling the greatest. So usually I like to do these things with a bottle of wine. However, it's the middle of the day and I don't feel like I should be drinking wine right now. So, um, I may have done some other recreational things before starting, uh, which also brings me to congratulate Minnesota on the legalization of recreational marijuana. Finally, it's been a long time coming. So congratulations, everybody. Um, don't really have a whole lot that I want to talk about now. Um, I've been watching, let's see, God, I don't even know what I've been watching. I've been watching a lot of Law and Order SVU and a lot of Criminal Minds. It's just something I put on to pass the time, I guess. Um, tried to watch, um, fuck, what is it called? Um, Mindhunter. Tried to watch that again. And um, didn't, the first attempt wasn't very successful, but um, we'll give her another go eventually. Uh, otherwise, I don't really have anything else to update. Once I do, I'll let y'all know, because I know you're dying to hear it. Um, let's get into the murder, I suppose. Um, so this one is from a book called Small Sacrifices. Um, it's an Anne Rule book. She also wrote um, The Stranger Beside Me, which is the Ted Bundy book where she literally worked next to him every day while he was uh, out doing those horrendous murders. And um, she didn't know. I mean, he was one of those that was like, no, he would never do it. And um, anyways, so Small Sacrifices by Anne Rule, that's the book that um, kind of inspired this story. It is a true story. Um, but uh, it's about a woman named Diane Downs, and this happened in 1983. So here's how it starts. Um, on May 19th, 1983, in Springfield, Oregon, 27-year-old divorcee and male woman Diane Downs, uh, she went sightseeing with her three young sleeping children at 10 o'clock at night on a school night. She was listening to Hungry Like the Wolf when she turned onto a road that she had never been on before because they were out exploring. They loved exploring. And there she saw a shaggy-haired man who had flagged down her car. So she said she pulled over and turned off the ignition and asked him what he wanted. And he said he was going to take her car. And um, uh, he opened the door pulled her out of the car, reached in, 
and shot all three of her children that were in the back seat at close range. And she says that she then faked throwing the car keys into the field across the road. And when he turned to look where the keys went, she jumped back into the car. And then he shot her in the left arm. And then she sped away to the nearest hospital. So at the hospital, her seven-year-old daughter, Cheryl, was pronounced dead. Her three-year-old son, Danny, was found uh, to be paralyzed from the waist down. And her eight-year-old daughter, Christy, had lost so much blood that she had a stroke. So almost immediately, the cops smell a rat because, um, well, the story that I just told you, that's her official statement um, that they were sightseeing at 10 o'clock at night, as you do with your three children, one of whom is a toddler who doesn't even know what sightseeing is. Uh, So they're like, huh interesting. And they then noticed that she, in telling this story, is completely emotionless. And the cop who I watched on an old 2020 episode, uh, which you can find on YouTube if you're interested, um, said, not one tear did I see as she was telling the story. So she's explaining how her children are shot point blank range and no emotion. However, on the other side of that, she could have been in shock, right? Like, don't judge someone's reaction because you just never know how they're going to, you know, handle it. However, it's going to raise the alarm bells in a cop if you're either not crying or at least fake crying when your children were just shot and one of them is dead. Um, so then when they brought her in to see Christy, when she regained some consciousness, um, there was a detective and two doctors in the room with her when they brought Diane in. And they said that um, her eyes glazed over, that um, Christy's eyes glazed over with fear and her heart rate on the monitor went from 104 to 164. So everybody was like, uh-oh, because like, this is a little girl surrounded by strangers and her mother, the one person who's supposed to give her comfort in the world, comes in and she is terrified. So that's alarm bell number 69 or 55. Um, then they find out that almost immediately after arriving at the hospital um, and her children being wheeled into the ER, Diane made a call to a guy named Robert Knickerbocker, who was a married man and a former colleague of hers that um, she had had an affair with in Arizona. So she made a phone call there, and then they also noticed that even though none of the children had been given any first aid of any kind, Diane had a dish towel wrapped neatly around her gunshot wound. So... These are things that people are just dinging off one by one and going, ah, all of this seems really weird. Um, And keep in mind that back then, there was no forensic files, there's no DNA, there's none of that yet. That stuff didn't come around until I think like the mid 90s is when the DNA and forensic shit started happening. So there's no forensic files, and you don't see this all the time, and you don't hear that story, you know, of, like, 
kids getting shot. There's less lackadaisical feel as opposed to the usual, like, they ran away bullshit that you always hear from cops. Um, So the one cop that talked the most in the 2020 special, it was his first homicide case ever. So he was like poised. He wasn't jaded. He wasn't like, oh, this old thing. Um, He was there trying to figure it out. He wasn't thinking about all of the paperwork that had to be done. He was like, let's pay the fuck attention. What the hell happened? And they say that the shaggy haired man... Um, which isn't actually the term that she used in her statement. Um, That's actually a police term for the fake person that people who kill people and then blame it on a random person. Um, They call it the shaggy-haired man. But she actually said, and she described it, and you can see the police sketch that it is a shaggy-haired man, some man that like flagged her down. A drifter type, perhaps, um, that no mother in the world would fucking ever pull her car over for on an empty country road, much less turn the fucking car off. That's the craziest part to me. Um, but this woman, she, her statement was full of just like unnecessary details. And sometimes I feel like when somebody's lying, the more detail they give, like that's an indication that it's clearly a lie. But she's clearly a bad liar. And she's one of those psychopaths who thinks that she's a mastermind and she can outsmart everybody. And those people are the funniest to me because they're the most obvious liars because they don't know how dumb they really are. Um, also it kind of like, I, I like watching interrogations, like when you actually know that they're guilty and, and they're lying and all the lying that they do in the interrogation room and like how loud lying sounds, like it's just so blatantly obvious. And I love even more when the cops play along and they like sympathize. Um, anyways, off topic, but Um, with her, this is what I love. This cop, um, decided to let her talk. So she started talking to the press almost immediately because of course they're like, we've got to find the shaggy haired man. So she was giving these interviews and the more she did it, the more she loved it. Like she looked a bit like princess Diana. So they actually called her lady Di, and she just kept on giving interviews. So four days after her daughter, Cheryl, is pronounced dead, she's doing a reenactment for the news, and you can watch all of this on YouTube. She's laughing and joking along with this reporter and reenacting the murder of her children, but literally like, oh my God, I just hit my cast. Like she looks like a flirty high school girl to me. It's just so unnerving. And then you see all of these interviews and she talks more and more as each one goes by. So the one that they end up having to hold because the reporter knew um, if they released it before her trial, that there's no way that she would get a fair trial in Oregon. In this one, she's quoted as saying, and it kind of made me sick 
because this woman is overtly crazy and she has the hallmark of crazy in my opinion which is anyone who's plucked their eyebrows down to just two little lines like always to me it's either you're on speed or some kind of white drug or you're totally crazy it just looks like two upside down U's over each eye she's just left like the bare minimum of eyebrow that she can that's always a very bad sign to me um crazy so she's getting interviewed and the reporter asks her do you feel lucky that you only got shot in the arm in this terrible crime and she says my children are the ones who are lucky i'm the one that has to live with this pain and scarring for the rest of my life what a fucking cunt And in the same interview, you see her as she talks, like she can't help but smile at the end of every sentence. She giggles a little bit, and it's almost like her brain doesn't know what the correct face is supposed to be in this situation. And she's just a total narcissist. Um, I actually, this is something that I share with people every so often, if the topic of sociopaths comes up but I read this thing a while ago about sociopaths and you can tell um, that they're sociopaths because when you yawn like normally when I yawn if there's somebody in the room with me if I'm you know sitting in the room with somebody they their reaction is to also yawn so when I yawn a sociopath they don't yawn because they have no empathy because they don't catch the yawn and they don't feel what you feel. So next time you're in the room with someone that you think is a sociopath, just give a little yawn and you'll have your answer. So same kind of thing. Um, She just doesn't understand that facial expressions read and she doesn't know how to mask. Like she's enjoying being the center of attention and she doesn't know how to mask that joy while she's talking about the blood coming out of her daughter's mouth. It's one of the creepiest things. So basically she keeps doing these interviews and now everyone around is seeing what this woman is, um, that she's not the victim of a random crime on a country road like she initially said. And everyone nearby is like, oh my God, there's something wrong with her. So as all of this is happening, like she's doing it, like she was volunteering for these interviews. Um, The police are still investigating and they find her secret diary. And that's where they find all of the information about that guy, Robert Knickerbocker, and her obsession with him and how basically she wanted to kill his wife while she still lived in Arizona and how this guy had no interest in children and he thought that it was inappropriate to be around her when she was with her children. So clearly the motive was on the page and she killed her children so she could be with him. Listen, don't have a secret diary unless you're going to kill someone and want to get caught because the only people who have a secret diary are going to fucking kill someone. It's just evidence waiting to be found. Just think your thoughts. Don't write them down. So then a guy comes forward that says, um, you know, because her story was that she raced to the ER 
after all of this happened. So a guy comes forward and says, um, also she has a red Nissan. So he says, um, I drove behind a red Nissan that was going so slowly that my speedometer needle wasn't coming off the peg. He said she was probably going seven miles an hour and um, he had to pass her like he came up behind her going so slow and he had to pass her and her story was that she was racing there. So she actually drove slowly to ensure that her children would bleed out because she could hear the moaning. It's fucked. So uh, she was arrested on February 28th, 1984, like nine months later. And during her trial, her daughter, Christy, the one who uh, got scared when she came in the room, she'd recovered enough. And Christy testified against her mother. And she told everybody there was no man in the street. My mom shot all of us, like through crying, tears and everything. Sweet baby angel testified against her own fucking mother but here's the sweet part um she got sentenced to life in prison plus 50 years so she's never getting out um but she uh did get pregnant before her trial so she was pregnant during the trial and she got pregnant by a guy that she actually seduced on her mail route so she knew she was going to get arrested she went and slept with this guy and got pregnant, um, probably so she could garner sympathy and look like, look at me, um, I'm a loving mother or something. Um, also, I think that you get put in a better prison and treated way better if you're pregnant. Um, so this is the quote that she um, had about being pregnant. Uh, I got pregnant because I miss Christy and I miss Danny and I miss Cheryl so much. You can't replace children, but you can replace the effect that they give you. And they give me love. They give me a satisfaction. They give me stability. They give me a reason to live and a reason to be happy. You fucking cunt. You fucking shot your children and now you're making more. So, needless to say, uh, that child was immediately taken away from her and put up for adoption. And that girl never knew who her mother was until recently. Um, and then here's the beautiful part. So, the prosecuting attorney that put her away adopted both Christy and Danny. Uh, him and his wife did. And that prosecutor, he was the first one who was like, you need to get a therapist for Christy. Um have a therapist with her at all times because at some point she's going to need to start talking about this and someone needs to be there and ready for her. So she just had constant support and they did right by these kids. Like one time in one of these horrible stories, these kids got done right by and it's beautiful. A psychiatrist said that Diane was a narcissist a sociopath and a hysteric so she must have been just a nightmare mother like the kids said that she hit them all the time and um i don't she's probably someone who like in 1800s in brooklyn would have been a good mother like well she keeps her kids in line and she probably would have had a funny name like old mrs slappy or some shit um, so these are very hard lessons to learn. And I wonder 
if they've taught me what I've started a podcast about, which is anything can fucking happen anytime. And you need to be on guard for it at all times. And don't, um, don't take things for granted. Don't judge books by covers. And don't do the things that average people get tricked by. Because this woman, she looked like Princess Diana. And she is like, I would never hurt my children. And people were like, okay. And if she stopped doing interviews at that point, I mean, who knows? They would have had to prove everything else by evidence. Um, I know it just shows that anyone is capable of anything and anyone can be lying to you at all times. So just, you know, be careful out there, people. And there you have it, boys and girls, the sickening story of uh, Diane Downs. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, thanks again for all of your support and for letting me fill your ears uh, with this fucking bullshit as you're looking for something to pass time. Until next time, goodbye.